Welcome back to the alternate Oscars. I am your host, Gabe Warren, and with every episode, I, along with a special guest, will be celebrating and rewarding our favorite films of each year, starting in 1928. We'll discuss our brief thoughts on each film we nominate, and comment on the actual Oscar year and some fun details on the ceremony. A few um, rules we always follow. We will be strictly following the reminder list of eligible releases. Those can be found on the website and the Oscar goes too. The amount of categories will also change and evolve over time as a sort of tie-in, connection, reflection um, of the Academy's evolution over time. And one last thing to note, from 1927 to 1933 and most recently in 2020, the Academy's had double years for various reasons. Um, we will not be doing such on this podcast, as I feel that would be a bit of a disservice to both years to do that. With all that said, today we will be discussing the films of 1930, and joining me today is fellow film fan Ronaldo Sosa. Ronaldo, uh, it's um, such a pleasure to have you on here. It's a pleasure to be here. What were your favorite films from this year that were not eligible for the awards? Well, I actually couldn't... Uh, I, I focused more on the ones that were eligible, but I did get to see one that wasn't eligible for some reason. I don't know why it wasn't. And that's uh, a Frank Capper film called uh, Ladies of Leisure with Barbara Stanwyck. And there's actually like a funny story with that because I read that he expected to get like a ton of Oscar nominations for it, but for but it didn't, or I don't know why it wasn't eligible or what, but he wrote a letter to the Academy telling them telling them like how he thought he would get nominated and why didn't he get nominated and that's why he got invited into the Academy. <laughs> that sounds bizarre, but yeah. That sound that's quite the fascinating story. I honestly did not know that movie at all, and I don't know, but if I want to talk about the movies that I saw that weren't eligible, um, I saw Under the Roofs of Paris, which is an interesting early showcase for Renee Claire. I feel like um, the narrative is a bit oddly structured, but I do feel it's um, a good starting point for what he would do more um, effectively with films like uh, Le Million and Anos La Liberté, I think that's how you pronounce it. I also saw, oh, The Blue Angel, another Joseph von Sternberg, Marlena Dietrich film, also starring Emil Jennings. Probably the, my least favorite Joseph von Sternberg film that I've seen thus far, but it's still visually stunning. Marlena is great. I really like Emil's performance. And then I saw Earth, this Soviet movie um, from 1930 that in some circles is considered a classic. I had thoughts on it, but it's kind of 
kind of evading my mind right now, and I might rewatch it sometime in the future. So, with that said, why don't we jump into the actual awards? So, here's what we're going to do. We'll start in reverse order, starting with sound recording and ending with picture. We'll take turns okay. announcing nominees, and then once we get through all the nominees, we'll announce our winners. Should I go first? Sure. Uh, so for sound recording, my nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, The Big House, The Big Trail, Hell's Angels, and King of Jazz. I, I just, I think I picked... I picked the big trail and Hell's Angels for and the big house for more, more or less the same reasons because it was early in the early sound and they weren't as good at recording things at that time. So it was I was impressed by the way that the different sounds like in Hell's Angels, the sound of the planes and the big house, like at the big riot right towards the end like the, the gunshots and like all the people screaming like it wasn't too it wasn't it, it sounded good so it that impressed me and that why that's why i nominated them and then all quiet on the western front i was really impressed by how because that didn't look like a 1930 movie that looked like something from much later like there's a lot of like the sound is really well done like what you expect from a war movie all the all the gunshots and the, the explosions but then you also have really quiet moments like the ending of the film it's really quiet and it's just it's it, it's just great work and then in king of jazz because from the musicals from this time i i'm it they don't sound really well but i think it's because of the restoration that was done for it that it sounded better than most of the musicals from this time that I've heard, like One, I, One Hour With You or The Smelling Lieutenant or Monte Carlo, even. That makes sense um, for all of your nominees. And it's a really um, good set. So I guess my nominees are All Quiet on the Western Fronts, Animal Crackers, The Big House, The Big Trail and Hell's Angels. I um, think I ultimately went with something like Animal Crackers because it's um, really well recorded for such an early movie and um, during a time when they were struggling to transition into sound and they didn't really know what to do with the equipment, like you said. But I think it's a really good balance of the musical and comedy elements and it sounds really good, and all quiet on the Western Front, as you said. Um, everything you'd expect, like the explosions and the war scenes, are just brutal, and it sounds almost like something like you, like something you'd expect from real life. But also, the quiet scenes also have a lot of simple things going on that require a lot of skill. And then the big house, similarly brutal, requires a lot of nuances and intricacies to 
really sold the premise of everything going on. The betrayal, um, I like the recording of the wagon wheels rolling along, and just, just a sense of a great big em open emptiness that I typically associate with westerns like these. And Hell's Angels, like you said, like the aerial work is just stunning. And the way they record the um, jets is amazing. So next we have Best Art Direction. If you want to go first again. Uh, yeah. So in Art Direction, I have All Quiet on the Western Front again and The Big Trail and Just Imagine, King of Jazz and Morocco. All Quiet on the Western Front is like pretty, like what, uh, what you would expect from a war movie. You have the trenches and like all the houses, like the, the little houses that they were in and how like torn they were, they were by the war. Like the, uh, like that house where, the, where it wasn't a house, like a cave underground where they were hiding from the, from all the, the explosions outside, like the, the, the bombs that they were, the, the, were, were dropped from the planes and where you have like all the mouse, the rats inside that looked re very realistic. And then, the big trail for all like it's mostly like exterior production design but you have like the like the rails and like also like all the people and the carriages and all of the things had to be like that's part of the production design like how you have to set them in a specific place and then just imagine if it's the most inventive of the films that I saw, like the like the miniatures that it uses and like the imagination. Like, I think that it was kind of like, I think Metropolis probably did it before, but you have like the imagination of what the future would look like and all the, all the miniatures of the cars flying and on the airways. And King of Jazz just looks Gorgeous. I liked all the stages that they sang in. And Morocco is probably like the most modern looking of all the ones, the nominees that I have here. Because it's very dark and pretty. I, I like it. A very diverse set of nominees. They all have their own unique look, I would say. I guess I'll just get into my nominees. For Best Art Direction, my nominees were Abraham Lincoln, All Quiet on the Western Front, Anna Christie, City Girl, and Morocco. Morocco, like you said, is surprisingly modern looking for its time. Like, so many of the um, interior choices and the way they designed the, the club and the way they film it and everything... I almost feel like this influenced so many future movies in a way that we may not realize, even. And then for City Girl, I just like the sort of folksy country look that it brings and the way they use the trains. And I just think the art direction does a good job of using 
the overall premise of the movie to its advantage. And Anna Christie, um, at times I felt like it was a bit too sort of awkwardly staged, but I do think the way they designed the boats and various exterior shots was, it looked like a very cozy chamber piece, which was appealing. And then All Quiet on the Western Front, like you said, is like your quintessential war movie production design with all the trenches and the war uh, ravages and everything. I actually think that war movies sometimes get take, taken for granted in terms of production design because typically you might think of the cinematography and the editing and the sound as obvious tools to sell that war movies, but the production design has to be on point and accurate as well. Yeah, and I think because that's mostly because... if you're missing anything, like... No, I'm just gonna say that it was, it's mostly because, like, people assume that art direction um, and production design is only an interior thing. But, and, and when you have a movie that's set mostly outside, like, they don't think that there was anything done, but they just took what was there. But you have to build a thing. Like, for 1917, I saw a lot of yeah. people complaining about that, when, uh, about that getting the production design nomination, but that there was a lot of work put into, like, all the, the space that they have to move in, especially if it was only one shot. Period accuracy. Yeah. And then for Abraham Lincoln, I had issues with the movie, but it looked very pretty, as one would expect from a D.W. Griffith movie. He was really a master at his craft and knew how to make grand looking movies, especially for his era. And I'm not sure I have a whole lot to say, but yeah, it's a great looking movie. Not so great overall, but art direction's good. So next up we have Best Cinematography. Okay, so here I have Oh Quiet on the Western Front. I have uh, City Girl. I have Hell's Angels. I have Morocco and With Bird on the South Pole. I kept... I like the fact that With Bird on the South Pole won because I like when when documentaries are like recognized outside of the documentary category. And at this time, you didn't have a uh, documentary category, so it was like the only place that they could reward it. And I I think it looked really pretty. Like I liked all the shots with the animals and the, in the Antarctica. I just wish it didn't have like the narration like for the last twenty minutes. Like the, that's really distracting. And I really like like just the shots of the animals playing, like when you have the penguin, the penguins and the dog like playing around. <laughs> but then like like yeah, it looked good. And then for uh Morocco, again, it's very modern looking. It's like something that you would see from from like an online Brisnay's film, like Last Year at Maribad or Hiroshima Monomore. Like it, it, uh, they were probably very influenced by the work of Joseph von Sternberg. And then Hell's Angels, because mostly because of the, the, the airplane sequences, like the the way that they had to shoot on the air. 
And then City Girl, it just looks gorgeous in every scene. Like there's one particular scene, like after they first get to to the men's hometown and they're like running after they get off the train and they're running through a field. I like the way the score in the camera is moving. It's just gorgeous. And then uh, All Quiet on the Western Front just looks great. I mean, what what is even there to say about the cinematography of All Quiet and Western Front? Everything that's yes. been said has been said. As for, like, Joseph, Joseph von Sternberg and his influence on future directors, I think what you say is very much true. Even if it's not immediately obvious, so many of his films are just so ahead of their time, at least in that element. And even just his overall mood and atmosphere as a filmmaker. It's a very visual experience when it comes to his movies. I did really, I did strongly consider with Bird at the South Pole because I think they did some really inventive stuff with the cinematography. But it was probably sixth place for me. But as for my nominees, All Quiet on the Western Front, Applause. The Big Trail, Hell's Angels, and Morocco. As I said, All Quiet on the Western Front is just looks amazing. Like, it's some of the best cinematography ever. And then Applause just looks appropriately gritty for this type of movie, as it should. Like, there's this scrappy look that is really well-fitting. And then The Big Trail... It just looks um, breathtaking with how they film the doors and the woods and the mountaintops. You can tell this is Raoul Walsh and Arthur Edison, who also shot on Quiet on the Western Front. And then Hell's Angels. I like not only what they did with the plane shots, like the aerial scenes, but also at least the one I watched had some color scenes that really took me off guard and actually well utilized and then morocco like you said everything about it just the way the smoke is used dim lighting it looks amazing yeah none of his films look amazing like i always think about the shot in shanghai express like the shot of the light coming down on marlena dietrich as she's looking like up And I even have the, like, on the, the screensaver on my yes. phone. Yeah. I love that shot. It just, I, there's a reason why it has become so entrenched in popular culture. It's just a stroke of genius. I also really liked it, the cinematography of Scarlet Empress, which was Burt Glennon instead of yeah. League Arms. And yeah, I was struck by how that movie looked. So next we have best adaptation oh okay so in best adaptation i have all quiet on the western front which has been like nominated in every category so far and uh, city girl holiday men and bill and morocco i uh, all quiet on the western front like uh when you think of war movies you don't usually think about the screenplay but i think that it's 
really well written in the way that the character arc of the character arcs are set up because you have like all these boys because they're like 16 17 when they first joined the war and they're like really excited about it and really like looking forward and saying like we're gonna be heroes and then you see the progression towards the end when he comes back and he tells them like oh you shouldn't go there because you're just gonna get killed like just just stay here with your families and like the way that everyone was calling him a coward i think that's really well written especially for the time and uh then i have city girl because i think that all the characters are really well written like all all of them have have clear motiva motivations like the dad that doesn't like the new girl that married his son now and I just think that it's really well, the characters are very well done. And then in Holiday, it's mostly because it's probably, it, it was a great play. And you saw in the later, much better adaptation with Captain Hepburn and Cary Grant. But this one is adequate. And I couldn't find, I, like, I had to find some fillers here. And then Min and Bill, I just, Min and Bill and Holiday were just like fillers. I was trying to find something to put in here because I didn't really like the writing of most of the things that I watched. And then Morocco. It's not like a very dense screenplay. There's not a lot of dialogue, but I think that it's 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 fine. It's good. But it's not like the aspect of the film that I'm really looking to. I would um, pretty much agree with everything you said about these nominees. So I guess my nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, Animal Crackers, City Girl, The Divorcee, and Morocco. I think All Quiet on the Western Front is actually kind of clever in how it subverts initial expectations and ends up becoming sort of an anti-war movie. It shows us the horror on these people's faces, contrasted with their initial enthusiasm because they think they're heroes and they're so brave for going out and fighting these wars. And the narrative shows us just how dehumanizing the experience is. And a lot of that comes down to the screenplay. Animal Crackers is just really fun and sharp and just enjoyable, for, which is what I expect going into a Marx Brothers movie. City Girl, like you said, is really well-structured as in terms of everyone's motivations. The Divorcee is problematic for certain reasons, and it is dated, but at the same time, I would argue that it is somewhat clever in certain areas and sometimes subverts expectations in terms of like the dynamics and Rocco the screenplay doesn't immediately jump out as anything special but I think it works in service of the rest of the movie even if it's not the most important aspect of the film yeah and what you were saying about all quite on the western front like subverting expectations like that's even like down to making 
to make it from the point of view of the German soldiers instead of the American soldiers, like most films at the time would have done. Like even from then, like it's asking you to look at a different perspective than most war movies from the time. And like even now. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And I really like that aspect of the movie. Uh, so in original story, I have applause. I have the big house. I have Hills Angels, I have Just Imagine, and I have Laughter. Now, this was the hardest category for me to put together. Like, even you saw that I had some things that even that weren't even original, so I had to take them out and it was even emptier. <laughs> so I had to take things that I didn't even like and put them here just to get five. So yeah, like most of these are, I just, put them because I had to fill spaces. But, and I don't know if I should even talk about like my feelings on them because that would spoil who the winner is because there's only one that I really like here. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's always a tough feeling. Like they're just, when you're actively struggling to come up with a list of nominees because the field is just so thin that you just it's a struggle sometimes yeah um, yeah but I, I'll say that I put just so, imagine even though I don't think it's very well written I put it here because it's a very original concept so that that at least feels like part of the of the category like it's at least original so these are applause the big house the big trail hell's angels and laughter i think applause is um does what it should for the sort of Again, the backstage musical, or I sort of feel like the narrative somewhat takes a bit of a backseat to the overall concept, but what is there is compelling enough. I think The Big House is, I think Frances Marion does a good job of like recording like the experiences that people go through in prison because um, like someone mentioned that she, um, actually went to a prison to research what it was like. And you can see that accuracy in the movie. And it's very humanistic. It doesn't feel condescending, doesn't feel mean-spirited. You can see these people struggle. And the big trail, similarly to applause I struggle to follow through with the, like, beginning and end of story but it does create a good landscape for the feature and I was engaged throughout so it did its job on that front and then yeah. Hell's Angels um, what were you saying? No I was just gonna say that with the big trail like my big problem with it is mostly just John Wayne whenever I, I, I can't stand to look at to even look at him <laughs> Whenever he's in a movie, I just check out. So that's why it's not as many of my categories as you have. <laughs> yeah. Um, not a great guy. 
the thing with John Wayne is I the movies I've seen from him I tend to like in spite of him. Like I just tend to like ignore him when and just focus on other aspects. Like stagecoach. I focus on Claire Trevor and Thomas Mitchell and Brooklyn and cinematography. And um The Long Voyage Home, I just focus on the other characters and Greg Tolan cinematography. And then again with this movie I just focus on the settings and again the cinematography. And that's the same thing I, I do with Woody Allen because I, I hate that he's in so many of his movies. <laughs> like why couldn't he just hire an actor? But yeah. I I still like really love some of his movies. Like I love Crimes and Misdemeanors. And I love Bur the Purple Rose of Cairo and I love Annie Hall. He made great movies, but uh, he, he why couldn't he hire an actor? Yeah, it's, he's. He's probably the main reason I didn't fall over the moon with Annie Hall. Like, I just felt like the movie suffered from being from his point of view. It really should have been from, like, strictly from Annie's point of view. Because Annie Hall is a much more interesting and compelling character. And knowing what we know about Woody Allen, it just... It's kind of hard to disassociate that movie's overall conceit from his real life. And I I try not to always have that mindset, but sometimes it's difficult. Yeah. So back to the um, my nominees. Uh, I have Hell's Angels. Um, for Hell's Angels... It's another movie where the um, style and direction matters more than the story, but there was, a, like you said, there weren't a lot of great, obviously story-driven films to choose from, so I just defaulted to that. And it doesn't, I'll at least say the screenplay doesn't actively ruin the movie for me, so there's that. And Laughter, I actually kind of liked. It is kind of strange, but... It had a charm that I couldn't resist. And that also, charm is called Frederick March. <laughs> he's, <yeah. laughs> easily, the, he's what makes that movie worth watching. It would have been yeah. it's worth watching. Like He's great in everything. Yeah. And he's so funny. Yeah. And I love to see him when he's playing the piano. I didn't know that he played the piano so well. He was him playing like the Moonlight Sonata, the third movement that's like one of the hardest things to play. But yeah, yeah. he's great. Yeah, I love him. Also, Harry Diabati Diarost, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he's the director and co-writer of the movie, and that is a badass name. I'll just say yeah. that. I yeah. just love that name. So, next, we have Best Actress. So, in Best Actress, I have Marlene Dietrich for Morocco. I have Marie Dressler for Min and Bill. I have Mary Duncan for City Girl. I have Norma Shearer for The Divorcee. And I have Edith York for City Girl. And I'll start with the two City Girl women. And I, like, since we didn't have supporting categories back in the day, like, everyone was just best actor and best actress. And I wanted to, and if there was a supporting category, like Edith York would easily be my winner for City Girl. Like she's so great. And I never I never even heard of her before I watched the movie. But she has like such a 
like you can tell like she doesn't have a lot of screen time but in the little that she does have you can tell that she really cares about her son and her family and she's like really a really warm presence because she's the only person like she is the only one that accepts Mary Duncan when she comes into the house like since the dad doesn't want, doesn't want anything to do with her because he thinks that she's just a gold digger that's her to get something from him and his son and then I have I also have Mary Duncan because I I just think that she's great like she's uh like she has a lot of internal conflict because she's really she's in love with this guy that she meets and you can tell from the beginning that she's not used to having someone so like a nice guy like like quote unquote nice guy like to treat her well and that's why she falls in love with him and she goes back to his house and she says that he's kind of weak so he so she that he doesn't really stand up for her or for himself even and she has to decide like should i stay with him or should i go even though i love him and she plays that conflict really well and then um, i have marlena because it's mostly like a it's the movie star performance like it's not she isn't really doing anything challenging for herself but she has like this way that she carries herself and like that scene where she where she's performing at the bar and she kisses a woman like the way that she moves and the way that she sings when she's doing things it's really captivating and then marie dressler like she had this and anna christie and i picked this because she has like more to do and then and also like that last scene after she she sees her daughter and she's like taken by the police like the look that she has on his from her face like being satisfied and, ser and that sereneness that she has i think really stuck in my mind and then norma shearer is just like really she has a lot of fun with the role that's a nice set of nominees i totally get why you settled on those five so for my nominees, I have Greta Garbo for Anna Christie, Marie Dressler for Anna Christie, Norma Shearer for The Divorcee, and Harding for Holiday, and Marlena Dietrich for Morocco. I think, um, starting with the Anna Christie women, I think Greta Garbo just makes such a strong impression with her first... This was her first sound film, and she makes such a strong impression. The way, the very specific way she delivers her lines. She had a very exaggerated this, accent. Yeah, and you can just tell this This is a woman who has gone through things, and she doesn't want to be messed with. She just wants to set things right. And I give credit mostly to Greta Garbo for conveying that. And Ori Dressler... I guess this is a good time to get into my feelings on Men Bill. I didn't like the movie. Uh, there's just something mean-spirited about it. And something about Dressler's performance in that movie just put me off. There's just a lot of blustery shouting. and <sighs> I just... Didn't really I can see understand. What it's a lot. It's not really for everyone. <laughs> she really yeah. does a lot. And maybe it's just a movie switching from slapstick comedy to this really emotional drama. I just felt that was 
so haphazardly handled that, yeah, it just kind of soured me on the movie as a whole. The movie just doesn't work for me. But um, in terms of her performance in Anna Christie, I think she's just a captivating presence and has so many great scenes with Greta Garbo. And I, uh, um, I understood her motivations completely and where she stood on everything. And Norma Shearer is just, um, um, just incredible in the divorce day. I just love her presence. I love everything she does with, with the actors working around her, just her presence, everything. It's just an amazing performance. It's a quintessential movie star performance, which I love. Yeah, movie star performance get like really underrated nowadays. But but it it's not it's like a skill like it's something that you either have or you don't but you have to use it well like it's not everyone that can just that can just come and do what she does in that movie. Yeah, and I just love that performance. It makes the movie. It's worth watching for her alone. And then I had Anne Harding for Holiday. Again, I think she's great, and she sells the comedy elements so well. And I almost considered having Mary Mary Astor in this category as well because I just love her as an actress, and she's also great in the movie. But ultimately, that didn't happen. I just stuck with Harding. But they're both great. The movie feels a bit primitive, but again, the acting makes it good. Um, And then Marlene Dietrich for Morocco. It's not the most challenging role ever, but she is luminous and sensual and mysterious as she should be. And she knows what the movie is calling for and delivers. So best actor now, right? Yeah. So I have Lou Ayers from Oakland on the Western Front. I have Charles Farrell from City Girl. I have Frederick March for the Royal Family of Broadway. I have Chester Morris for the Big House. And I have David Torrance for City Girl. So I have City Girl getting four acting nominations. And David Torrance and Frederick March would actually be supporting performances, but I, I, I think they're great so they are here. I love, like, uh, one of the things that I want is just someone to find a better print of the Royal Family of Broadway, just so I can get, like, in in that not, it's an awful quality, like the one that's available now. And I think that he's really fun. Like, that movie isn't, like, that film isn't, like anything to write home about, but he's so much fun. Like from the moment that he comes into the film, he's just like talking a mile an hour and like taking, like going to the shower and taking all his clothes up and then like like screaming to his family. It, it's just a really fun performance. And then uh, um, Lou Ayers, is like if he was only going to have one nomination, it should have been for this instead of like Jenny Belinda, like he doesn't do anything in Jenny Belinda, but he's really good here. And it took me a while to like warm up to what he was doing because I thought he was getting stoic. 
at the beginning, but it was like at that scene where he's like uh, hiding in a hole when they first go into battle and he's hiding in a hole with a, an, uh, with a soldier from the other side. And he's like scared and then he dies in the way that he's like, oh, I, that he's telling him like, oh no, I'm sorry that I'm sorry that I killed you even though like that he's at war and he's supposed to kill the other people. But I just thought that he was really good. And then the tomb, uh, Chester Morris in Big House, I just, uh, it was, like, I wasn't, there weren't really a lot of great lead actor performances that I, from the movies that I saw. And he was just very good. Like, he was dirty, fine, good. It was a fine performance, so he probably would be my fifth from the ones that I have here. And then the two men from City Girl, I have Charles Farrell, who I think played really well, like the insecurity that he had, like that moment when he's like, when his father like slaps his wife and he's like really angry at the beginning. And he's like, oh, I'm gonna go like stand up to my dad and tell him. And then like, you see the change in his face when he's realizing like, no, I, like, no, I don't want to do that. And then he gets scared. I think that he's, it's a very vulnerable performance. And then you see like his progression from being like so insecure to finally getting the confidence to stand up to his father and finally like get his wife back. And then David Torrance who plays, who plays Charles Farrell's dad. I also thought that he was uh, like, he was like, you could understand why he was so against the marriage, and I thought he did a great job. I'll admit, I may have taken some of the individual performances from for granted. I may actually need to rewatch City Girl and really pay attention to what in every individual actor is doing. But what you described makes every performance seem really good, like fantastic. My nominees are Lou Ayers for All Quiet on the Western Front. Louis Wolheim for All Quiet on the Western Front, Chester Morris for The Big House, Wallace Beery for The Big House, and Frederick March for The Royal Family of Broadway. Lou Ayers really conveys, um, apart from starting off, uh, like, stoic, like, going into this, this is almost a mercenary job, he showed really well the insecurity and the fright that comes with going in to basically die and kill people and if not die live with everything you did on that battlefield I like how he portrays every facet of that so beautifully and Louis Wolheim is just a big towering presence who was often terrifying and I just liked everything he did. Chester Morris, he has a lot of charm I would say and he's not just some um, dime a dozen presence. I think he is um, actually pretty really good in the big house as like our insert into this oppressive locale prison and I think the big house does generally does a better job of showing his talents than something like Alibi did. 
and then Wallace Berry for the big house. Oh, and he's um, also in the divorcee to Sir Morris. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah. He's Norman Robert- husband, the next husband, the next husband again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as is Robert Montgomery, who is also in the big house. Yeah, like they have very few actors working. <laughs> like everyone was in everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just thinking about everything that these actors starred in, like there's so much overlap. Like Yeah, because you have these people making like six or seven movies every year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking like someone like Lewis Stone who was in everything and I'm probably forgetting some of the films he was in. But a lot for Metro Golden Mayor. And then there was another actress that I'm forgetting, but it seemed like she was like in basically everything as like this as like this grandmotherly figure. Oh, I need to remember that. But I mean from this anyways, time or later. Uh, around this time, but because Mae Whitty was a, in everything, like in the late thirties and early forties, she was in everything. Sure, <laughs> definitely. Um, but, anyways, um, back to Walsbury for the big house. I think he um, not only does a good job playing the big brute, but also shows some hearts that is much needed for this film and its subject. And then. Frederick March, like you said, is just so much fun whenever he appears on screen. I like the movie mainly for all the actors appearing on screen, and he's like a scene stealer and everything he's in. And the scenes he has with Enya Claire are just comedy gold. Yeah, he really should have won that Oscar from the nominees. I'd probably go with Ronald Coleman. Oh, wait, wait. Oh. Wait. No, that he was in twi- that was in thirty thirty one. So that was like uh, with Adolf Menjew. Adolf Menjou and Jackie Cooper, and then two other people I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I would, of that lineup, I think, I would say the right winner um, was chosen, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, but that's I, fair. Maybe it's just because I like a free soul more than it seems most people. But anyways, that was fun. So next up we have Best Director. Oh, and before we get to that, I wanted to say, I wanted to shout out Ben Alexander from All Quiet on the Western Front. He was probably, like, my number six. And I really wanted to mention him because he has, like, he he plays, like, that kid, like, the one that gets his legs amputated, like, towards the middle of the film, and, and that he has the really good boots. And then there's, like, this guy that's, like, also in the army that tells him, like, oh, can I get your boots later? after And after he dies, he gives him the boots. Like, I, it's, like, he probably has, like, that one scene, or maybe he's in something before, but I never noticed him. But I think that he's really good at that one scene. Yeah, there um, is something to be said about actors who are only, like, one or two scenes, but make a surprising amount of impact with so little screen time. I... I'm thinking like Hermione Badley and Room at the Top. It makes me wish like she had more than just two minutes of screen time. I wish Vanessa Redgrave was in more of Julia because she was one of the better aspects of that movie. And the movie should have been more about the relationship instead of how Julia is important to Lillian Hellman. But that's a different story. That's a different conversation. So best director. Okay, so in Best Director, I have uh, 
I have Jen Murray Anderson for King of Jazz. I have George W. Hill for The Big House. I have Louis Milestone for All Quiet on the Western Front, F.W. Murnau for City Girl, and Josef von Sternberg, Sternberg from Morocco. So, uh, John Murray Anderson is kind of like I had a, a fifth spot that I had to fill, and I wanted to, and I just picked him because I like the way the movie looks. And there's also like some uh, special effects that they do at the beginning. Like the, when uh, I forgot the name of the conductor that the movie is about, but he has like a box that he opens and then like all these little soldiers come out and that was for like a superimposed shot. But I thought it was really well done and impressive for the time. So I think it did some good things. Like it's probably better than some of the other review movies, review musicals from the time. And it's not anything like special, but I, I it just, I had to fill that spot and he was there. So yeah, I, uh, then, what? Oh, yeah. sorry. Um, uh, I was just gonna say something about King of Jazz, but I'll wait until you're done. No, but you can say it now, it's okay. Oh, okay. Um, as for King of Jazz, um, maybe it's just because the copy I watched was really bad quality, but the the three strip color cinematography just didn't look appealing to me and i get that it was really important for its time but at the same time this just really did in my opinion at least this didn't really have much to show for itself and ultimately it didn't leave much of an impression on me i do think an interesting fact about it though is there is according to wikipedia there is a possibility that one of the cast members was um, a great uncle of Kurt Cobain. I didn't um, know that. And there's also like those, a very a very young uh, Ben Crosby. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! He, I almost forgot Ben Crosby was in this. Wow. Yeah, and I think, yeah, it might have been that you watched another version because there's uh, the Criterion Collection did a restoration of it, and that's what I watched. And it looks really, it looks really good. Like, at least visually, it looks good. Like, it, it's, it, there is not a lot of substance in it. And if you're just like looking, if you're just watching the movie and doing nothing else, you're probably going to get bored after a while because the music, the songs aren't very memorable and like the dance sequences aren't that great. But if you're just going to like have it on the background and like do like write something or do something else or do the dishes while it's playing, like I think it's a good distraction to have. I get that. Again, maybe it's just not the version I watched. It was on a like some. Uh, it was on OK.RU. Yeah. Um, also, I'm not that surprised that the version I watched was bad quality, but clearly that affected my what I should have been able to appreciate about the movie. So. Well, and for my other nominees, uh, like George W. Hill. I wasn't very impressed with what he was doing for most of the movie, but then there's like that riot that happens at, at the prison, like in the last 20, 30 minutes. 
and I think it did a good job with that. Like, uh, like you never got lost, like where all the people were and who was who. So that was good. And then Lewis Milestone, like, like Oh, Quite on the Western Front, it's a great movie, and it's it was very ahead of its time. Like, I don't think there was any other film like it that came out this year or any other year, like in the early 30s. So, like, I'm actually impressed that the Academy had the taste to go for it. Like, they're usually not that forward thinking. And then F.W. Murnau for City Girl. I just love City Girl. It's, it's such a great movie and it's gorgeous and it looks great. And the score is amazing. Like, I was actually looking for the score on Spotify because it just, like, all the flutes and the, and the harmonicas, it just, look, it just sounds great and it looks great and all the actors are great and that's partly because of the direction so he's here and that was actually my first Murnau film so I'm now gonna like I think this week I'm gonna watch Sunrise or something else like I plan to watch all his movies before the end of the year and then Josef von Sternberg another director that was ahead of his time like he was so influential like he was one of the first auteurs that had like a a uh, distinctive look to his films and so yeah that's my director lineup it's a worthy lineup so my nominees are lewis milestone for all quiet on the western fronts ruben mamolian for applause raul walsh for the big trail howard hughes for hell's angels and Joseph von Sternberg for Morocco. Um, Louis Milestone, the film at this point, again, just goes without saying. It's just so ahead of its time. And again, I struggle to come up with words to describe it that don't just sound redundant or cliched, but it is one of the great war or anti-war movies ever made. And then Ruben Mamolian for Applause. I like what they did with the movie and just the concept of the backstage musical for one of the first movies to employ that narrative. It was really clever and just fun. Raul Walsh directs this movie marvelously, like the way it looks. He just as, is a master at his craft, in my opinion, especially when he can distract us from John Wayne. With so many other things going on. And then Howard Hughes for Hell's Angels. He, um, you can see the sort of almost mad genius that was Howard with this movie. Have you seen The like, Aviator? Oh, uh, no. That's what I really need to see. Like, the making of Hell's Angels is a very big chunk of the, of the Aviator. And you see, like, how he had already shot the film like being silent and then he reshot the whole thing again to make it in sound so like the, the budget was like way like, the film went way over budget it had like those the sequences in sound it's just insane the production of that film that's something that i think i should look into because it does sound wild it's such a ambitious vision and i can appreciate that and feel like he deserves a spot on my list just for 
the auda- the audaciousness of what he's projecting on screen. And then Joseph von Sternberg, again, is a true early auteur and is able to strike such a mood. Like, the script, it is what it is. It's von Sternberg's direction that really sells the movie and keeps you engaged. Because without a distinctive vision, a film like Morocco would just be boring. But it isn't, in large part, thanks to Joseph von Sternberg. Those were my nominees. And next, the final category, Outstanding Production. So, yeah, they're... Like, I've probably talked about all these movies already, except for one, because I have one film that that's its only nomination for me. No, I have one. Okay, so I have All Quiet on the Western Front, I have The Big House, City Girl, The Divorcee, and Morocco. Like, The Divorcee, the only other nomination that I gave it was for actress, but I ended up picking it here because it kind of wants to be progressive for a period. Like when it's, uh, when you think, it makes a really good point that the husband says like, oh, like I, I, I like I just cheated on you, it was nothing, it was, it was nothing, it didn't mean anything, and then she does it, and then it does mean something. And it makes like that point, like double standards that they had for women at the time. But then like the ending kind of retcons the whole thing and says like, oh yeah. And she goes back to him and it's not great. But yeah, I put it here because it wasn't really a strong year in my opinion. But yeah, all quiet on the Western Front and see the girl. And Morocco, like I've already sent praises to them, so I'm not really gonna say the same thing. I'm not gonna repeat myself. But for the big house, I just thought it was it was a good movie. And I like the relationship between Chester Morris and the girl. That that's the uh, Robert Montgomery's sister when he meets her outside. I thought it was like endearing when they meet and they fall in love. So yeah, those are my five nominees. I think that all makes sense. So for my nominees were All Quiet on the Western Front, Applause, The Big House, The Big Trail, and Morocco. I've said a bunch of things about these movies already, so I'll just say something brief about all of them. All Quiet on the Western Front is just a great anti-war movie. Applause is a fun gritty backstage musical and one of the first of its kind. The Big House has really paved the way for other prison movies. This was again one of the first of its kind. The Big Trail is one of those um, pioneering West, not pioneering revolutionary Western movies that really again paved the way in the genre. And then Morocco is just a true auteur's product. It almost feels like a piece of art with Marlena Dietrich just pulling the rug under Gary Co- uh, from under Gary Cooper. Yeah, and there was something that I forgot to say when we were doing director. Like, you nominated Ruben Mamoulian for applause, and I think that she really was wrought of a nomination for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde a few years later. Because yeah. what he does in that movie with the, all the POV shots when you're looking at the things like from Frederick March's point of view, like, the, I don't think that... that I think that that was probably the first time that anyone had done that. 
it was like really inventive the cinematography and the way that the transformation is actually happening on screen and like all the cuts are masked really seamlessly i just he did a great job in that film yeah i agree it did deserve picture and director nominations i am kind of surprised it didn't at least get a picture nomination considering frederick march won and it got a adapted screenplay nomination and a cinematography nomination so yeah it definitely yeah. deserved to and frederick march won in a tie but he actually got one more one vote more than than uh what's his name wallace berry for the chair. wallace berry yeah he had one more vote because they had like that rule that if you had like one or two i don't remember how many more uh, like if two people were within one or two votes of each other like they both won but if that wasn't there, like Frederick March would have won on his own, so it's even more impressive that he would have won over a, a person with a Best Picture nomination. Yeah, I think they're both great performances, and I'm glad that they tied. I was going to say something else, but I, again, I guess I'm just surprised that Dr. Jekyll wasn't the Best Picture nominee. It could have replaced something like Aerosmith, but who knows? Maybe just it couldn't overcome the horror bias. Yeah. So, so the winners now? Yep. Back to sound recording and going upward. Okay. Okay. So in sound recording, should I say the nominees again or just the winner? Just the winner. Okay. So in sound recording, my winner is All Quiet on the Western Front. Because I think it's, the, it's not just sound, but also the way that it uses the sound and the way it uses silence really impressed me so that's why i'm picking it here i actually went with the big house and it's sort of for a reason that you'll see in my later picks but i just had this idea of spreading the wolf and <laughs> if i'm going to be following that i feel like i want to give this to the big house because i think it is impressive what they did with the riot scene and just capturing how this prison landscape would sound Good. And in art direction, my winner is Just Imagine, just because it was, like, the movie isn't great, but I thought the, it was the most imaginative of all the, the nominees that I had, like, the way that it, that it portrays what's supposed to be Mars, that's just, like, ridiculous, but it was fun to watch, and, like, all the houses inside and the way everything looked, I, th I thought it was great. My winner was Morocco. I just found the design just intoxicating, almost. Just yeah. how they designed the the clubhouse, whatever you call it. And it was just a really impressive chamber piece, almost, like, design. And also that ending shot of... Marlene oh, Dietrich. Her going into the desert. Into the desert, yes. That's another Von Sturberg scene that I feel like everyone knows, even if they don't know the movie itself. Yeah. So, yeah. For best cinematography. In cinematography, I give the win to City Girl. 
like mostly for that scene that I mentioned when after they just get off the train and they're running around in the field and you see like the breeze moving all the plants on the ground and they are running and the camera is moving and the score is soaring with them. I, like that scene has really stuck in my mind and that's why I'm picking it here. Yeah, I totally get that. So my winner is The Big Trail. Again, I just love the wide shots that they use and the mountaintops and I don't know just how the um, sun is shot to reflect and it's again Arthur Edison who also did on All Quiet on the Western Front so he had a year and he's a great underrated cinematographer who also did Casablanca mm -hmm. so that's cool mm -hmm. so adaptation, adaptation. In adaptation, I give the win to City Girl as well, because the I thought I thought it was the best character writing that I saw from any movie this year. I thought that all the characters were really well defined and really well written, and yeah, the plot is great too. Like, there's not really a plot, but everything makes sense. There's nothing ridiculous happening. I just thought it was great. Really well written. So my winner was All Quiet on the Western Front. I feel like that was the most concise, straightforward narrative. And it impressed me the most was what it did. Yeah, All Quiet on the Western Front would be definitely my runner-up. Yeah. Um, City Girl would be my runner-up, probably. So we're not, we're not too far off. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So for original story. So in original story, I said that I that I only liked one of the nominees and that was the big house. Uh yeah, like the all the others I had issues with, especially with applause, like at the end. Like the ending, I, it has a very similar problem to the divorcee, where at the end like, you think that she's going to leave the man because she realizes that she wants to be with her mom and her mom is the most important thing. And then, like, she goes back with the man and uh, I don't know. But yeah, The Big House is my winner, easily. Frances Marion. The Big House is also my winner in this category. Frances Marion is just... is such an interesting person to research about. I recently watched The Love Light, which she wrote and directed. It's a silent film starring Mary Pickford mm -hmm. and it was kind of hard to focus on it because it was a silent film and the one the version I watched had no music so <laughs> yeah but when I could focus on it it I could see a vision there I could see some interesting things going on yeah, yeah it's a shame and, that she didn't get to work more as a director yeah it's just Hollywood just through every woman helped build their empire for them under the bus and it's sad Dorothy Arzner was another one that they just erased yeah but I also think know, she's just a brilliant writer and this is a great showcase for that so next is best actress Oh, and Best Actress, I had a really hard time picking who I wanted to win, and it kind of came between Mary Duncan for City Girl and Norma Shearer 
And I think I'm going to pick Mary Duncan, like mostly just because I love City Girl so much. I think that gives her a leg up. Uh, so yeah, Mary Duncan is my winner. So my winner was Norma Shearer for Divorce. She's just exuberant and vibrant, and she makes the movies more dated elements, more digestible, I would argue, and helps to form the um, movie's character, the character she's portraying more so than even anything else in the movie. And I just like her persona and her charisma. She's honestly one of my favorite actresses from this era of Hollywood. I'm not, I haven't watched a lot of her movies. Like I've seen this and I saw A Free Soul. And I've seen Romeo and Juliet, which isn't great. It isn't great. But I don't think I've seen anything else outside from that. So I may need to do a Norma Shearer deep dive later. It is worth the watch. So next up is Best Actor. In Best Actor, my winner is Frederick March for The Royal Family of Broadway. Just because I think that he made the most of what could have been a nothing role in a nothing movie. He, like, he's such a firecracker. He's so much fun to watch. And yeah, he's great. He's one of my favorite actors from this time. Like, I love him in so many movies. Like, uh, he's great in Les Miserables from 36, 35, 35, yeah. And like we were talking about Dr. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That's one of my favorite best actor wins ever. And I I just think he's a great actor. So yeah, I give my one to him. My winner is actually Lou Ayers for All Quiet on the Western Front. I think it's hard to think of that movie without thinking of him and the role and the humanity he brings to the role and how he tracks his character's development from start to end. And he, he's heartbreaking. And yeah, it's such a humanistic performance. And also part of me just feels like giving it to such a young actor when the Academy we know is biased against young male stars, just sort of, I don't know, somewhat of a vindication. Yeah. Okay, I still can't believe that they didn't nominate River Phoenix for uh, for My Own Private Idaho and so many great performances. Like even, and when they have a young actor, they put him in supporting. Like you have Haley Joel Osment, who's the lead, really, in The Sixth Sense, and they put him in supporting. So yeah. Yeah. Um, next up is Best Director. Um, my winner and best director is Lewis Milestone for All Quiet on the Western Front. I think that on a technical level, like the level of difficulty of what he had to do was very was the highest of all the of all my nominees. And then he also delivered, like he didn't fail, like he on the dramatic end, like he made a really like he did well by the characters and also by the story and he did well technically as well, so he's my winner. Um, same for me. So for all the reasons that you said, like this movie comes together the best. I will say about Joseph von Sternberg, 
from the lineup from the lineup he was nominated in. Oh, he should have probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah, especially over Norman Tarog for Skippy, and I don't dislike that movie as much as some people do, but I'm not sure if the direction warranted recognition. I feel like I was more interested in what Jackie Cooper was doing on screen. And I'm not that upset that it won, because at least it wasn't Cimarron. Yeah. And it was it was just an interesting, atypical choice. Yeah. So, I'm not that upset. Even if that story is about Norman Turog traumatizing Jackie Cooper. Yeah, that was really bad. Okay, for outstanding production. It's actually really close between All Quiet on the Western Front and City Girl, but from my taste and what I like, I see myself rewatching City Girl more than I would rewatch All Quiet on the Western Front so I give my win to City Girl. That is, that's a really deserving choice and it's inspired. So my winner is All Quiet on the Western Front. I just, I just feel I can't mess with <laughs> such an obvious influential classic and it just comes together the most precisely and it just delivered on every aspect that I wanted it to and I was glad when I finally got down to watching it. I sat down and watched this and it was incredible. Yeah, so, especially yeah. coming like after like what an upgrade from the Broadway melody to Oh Quiet on a Western <laughs> Yeah. L- like a complete 180. I'll, I will say this Broadway melody is not even my least favorite of that particular lineup. Mm. That would be Hollywood review, if I wanted to say it. That just, it made me hate everyone on screen. I said this in the previous episode, but I, I just wanted to just, I almost wanted to throw something, because it was so annoying. <laughs> I felt like that yeah. watching things sometimes. Yeah. Uh so yeah what a great time um so i thought we would um just discuss some fun things about this ceremony just pulling up the wikipedia page because um admittedly i could have done better note taking and research (laughs) but me i took some screenshots from a book i was reading on the internet archive so i guess i guess in terms of talking about the actual ceremony I watched the ceremony on YouTube. It was only seven or so minutes. I didn't know they and recorded it the ceremonies back then. Yeah. I think this was the first time. And like I said, it was only like seven or so minutes. Because a part of me feels they didn't quite know what they were going to do with concept of a recorded ceremony. So it really was just them. Um, just bringing out names. Yeah. Well, not exactly. They just rewarded their pals, basically. I think Louis B. Mayer presented Best Picture to Carl Lemley, <laughs> and it was surprisingly touching, in a way. And I think Conrad Nagel 
if I'm pronouncing correctly, presented to Norma Shearer. And it is fascinating to see what they did. And the fact that it was just seven and a half minutes. Like, we complain nowadays that ceremonies drag on for too long. But yeah. imagine just being able to zip through. I think this was because the winners may have been announced ahead of time back then. Yeah, and also, like, no one was watching, so they didn't have to put on a show or anything like that. Yeah, they could just be rich people rewarding other rich people. It was just their little club. Yeah. So, All Quiet on the Western Front was actually the first movie to win both Best Picture and Best Director. And, which is interesting. Yeah, because I remember that they even had two director categories in the first in the first Oscars. They had two pictures and two director categories and neither of them matched up. Yeah. That was definitely trying out something like testing the waters with our toes sort of thing. And also, so, like, it makes no sense, because you had, like, a unique and artistic picture and outstanding production, and then you had director for comedy and drama. Like, why not do the picture for comedy and drama yeah. as well? And do that, like, that weird split that doesn't really have, like, a, a guideline of where one thing goes and where go, the other goes. Yeah, I mean... I could go on a tangent about how Charlie Chaplin received a, no- a bunch of nominations in that first category, but then they were rescinded because they thought it would be more befitting to give him an honorary award, because, which I get. And then I will say, at least it resulted in Ted Wall getting a nomination for Speedy, which was fun. But back to this ceremony. I guess other interesting feats was the Love Parade being the first big shutout. How many like, nominations did it have? Six nominations. Six. Yeah. Hmm. So it was the Irishman of 1930. Yeah. And then there... Um, just looking at some of the pages I screenshotted. So I want to talk about Norma Shearer's Best Actress win. Because I think what's interesting is that it was considered an upset at the time. I don't have official notes with me, but I think I did read like some reports saying that Greta Garbo was the front runner. And yeah, and it makes sense because Greta Garbo was like a huge star in the silent era, and like even the fact that she was making her bit her first sound movie was like a big deal. Like you have all the posters that said like Garbo talks, and that alone was enough to sell the movie. So it makes sense that. People thought she was going to win because she was such a big star. Yeah, I guess. And looking at um, the nominations for each of them, Anna Christie received nominations for Clarence Brown and Cinematography for William Daniels. And then The Divorcee got, also got nominations for Picture Director Adapted Screenplay. So I guess that tipped the scale in Shear's favor. Yeah, and she was married to a studio head. And they were probably like, yeah. that helps. <laughs> yeah. That, I, yeah, that probably helped. So, just looking at some of the notes. I guess we should talk about why do we think that Norma Shearer won over Greta Garmo besides what we already said? Uh, I think they liked the movie more. They, they liked the movie more and she was connected. <laughs> yeah. I think that sums it up all. 
Like, this is coming the year after Mayor Pickford won by lobbying, so it's probably a lot of politics involved. Yeah. And then... I guess now is a good time to talk about the best actor winner from this year. George Arliss Israeli. Yeah. So, a very hard movie to find. And I still haven't seen it, actually, but I haven't heard many good things about it. Like, there's only one person that I've seen who likes it. Uh, who was that person again? Callum Reed. Oh. He was the one person to ask a question on Twitter, and we'll get to his question. Yeah, and it was about George Arliss. <laughs> yeah, so we'll get to that. So, yeah, this really, it's, I can't think of a movie that where I feel like it left nothing for me. It just wasted my time. There was just a complete empty void. It's just, I, I struggle to even find words to describe it because it's just there. And, <laughs> yeah. So, how did you find it? Oh, it was Jackson who sent it to me. Oh, Jackson, had a, Jackson, Yeah. Sorry. Jackson um, had a DVD of a, a like DVD that he bought somewhere, and he had it for years. And then he, like, converted it to his computer, and he sent it to me. And then yeah. he posted it on YouTube, and it got taken down. <laughs> but I, I had it already, so I... Yeah. George Arliss, he's okay, I guess. He's probably the closest this movie gets to having some any sort of purpose. <laughs> like, but that isn't saying much. It's just nothing. It's not even like, it's not even like remarkably unpleasant or repulsive. It's just there. It's just <laughs> yeah. nothing. I wanted to talk briefly about Lewis Smallstone's career. And because there was this interesting sort of nut graph from the book I read. Well, first off, Louis B. Mayer said, I hear there's talk that the motion picture we honor tonight may win a Nobel Peace Prize, which is kind of remarkable and not surprising at all. Because at the time, a movie like All Quiet on the Western Front wasn't a thing that you came by every day. <laughs> yeah. It was a big deal, and not many movies were like it. And I just wanted to talk about how Milestone kind of sort of gets taken for granted today, even though he made a handful of well-received movies throughout the 30s and 40s. And I feel it's because he is above... um, He is, more than anything else, a skilled craftsman. And I could see that with the front page, which is, is easily digestible, has the sparkling dialogue you would expect from a play by Ben Hecht and Charles MacArthur. And I think his direction does a lot of work making it not feel sluggish in any places. And I bring this up mainly because this little piece just describes how Hollywood seemed to throw him under the bus after some time, which kind of makes me sad just seeing a clearly talented director just being forgotten about. He's not the only case of this, but what are your thoughts? No, I just think it's because uh, because he wasn't an auteur. Like, even if he made a classic, like, Go Quiet on the Western Front, his, his name doesn't get mentioned along with it. Like, it's just, like, a thing that exists 
and he's not associated with it. Like there are directors like that, like uh, like Sidney Lumet, who's more famous, but he made a lot of classics. Like he made Duck Day Afternoon and he made Network. But when you talk about, when people talk about those movies, they don't mention him always. Like they're just movies that exist. But, they, but he didn't have like a style that people attached to him. So he's not as remembered as someone like Stanley Kubrick or someone like that. It's not even for like a lack of style. It's just it wasn't. It's, sing- it wasn't consistent. Yeah, it wasn't a singular like identifiable trademarks. He adapted. He used whatever style the movie called for. Yeah, like it's really wild to think that he that the same person that directed Long Day's Journey tonight made Network and made that that yeah. day afternoon. Yeah, I I loved Long Day's Journey into Night and Catherine Hepburn is heartbreaking in it. Yeah, like that whole cast is amazing. Yeah. I just feel like like in regards to how craftsmen and non-auteurs are taken for granted. I feel like I could make a connection between what I feel is like a growing dissonance between like film circles and people who are really passionate about film and like the general public or what we think of when we think of that term. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'd need to go more into that in terms of research to really express thoughts on that, but it is something interesting to think about. So, so one question we got from Twitter was from Colm Reed. Did George Arliss win for the right performance? Well, I haven't seen The Green Goddess, so, and he's apparently playing a Raja person, like, and there are apparently like two versions of the Green Goddess, like two, both of them with George Arliss, and one of them is a silent film from 1922, and then there's the one that won him the Oscar, the Green, well, the one that he was nominated for that was in sound. And I think that the version that's available to watch it's is a silent one, but the sound version is like I think saved in the Library of Congress or something like that. There's a copy archive somewhere, but it's not available to watch, like, online, I think. Yeah. So, I don't know, because I haven't seen either. That's what I have to say. But I probably wouldn't give him a win for anything <laughs> from what I've heard. Yeah, I'll say that. Yeah. He didn't deserve for either, but I guess if you had to choose between those two, I'm just going to go with Disraeli, because that's the one I've seen. But that's not a great standard to have, I guess. <sighs> yeah. So, again, this... Thank you, Ronaldo, for joining me on this episode. This was such a fun episode to record, and I enjoyed everything we had to talk about. Yeah, and thank you for inviting me to be in this episode and uh like if you want me to come back for any year I'm, I'm here yeah definitely so how do we can we find you on social media and stuff uh well i'm on twitter at r santana 2024 
and I'm on letterbox at R underscore Santana2024. Okay, so I am on Twitter at Gabe the Joker with two underscores. I'm also on Letterboxd as Mr. Hulo. If you want to follow the Alternate Oscars, you can find his Twitter page at Alternate Oscars. Be sure to rate and review this podcast for visibility's sake. And until then, see you all next time.